Hello, it's me, Frank, and here's... Peter, hello. Welcome to this, the fourth episode of Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for mystics and maniacs engaged in the struggles of Arkham Horror, the card game. Thanks for all your feedback so far. As we said at the beginning of the last episode, we recorded this at much the same time as episodes one and two, and like them, we decided to cut it in half, so you're getting the second half this week. Also, like episodes one and two, the audio quality isn't the best, especially my microphone. As we said in episode four's introduction, uh, I've got a new mic. Hopefully that sounds a lot better. Uh, and this will be what we sound like going forward. So if you hate it, direct all of your criticisms to Peter on Discord or Reddit or anywhere else. And he will then tell me off for my poor editing. Today's episode is still about allies. We're finishing up our discussion from the previous episode, so it's looking at more of the erstwhile companions of investigators who sometimes are helpful and oftentimes are more trouble than they're worth. If you're worried about spoilers, you can listen to the beginning of the previous episode, we talk about that in a little bit of detail, or I try and post, post our spoiler policy on the blog, so have a look there as well. Enjoy the episode! Moving on, this is our first Mystic card on Drawn to the Flame, and I'm so glad it's this card. This is the Arcane Initiate, so it's a non-unique ally asset, costs one, it has fittingly for the Mystic faction a willpower pip, and it's ally and sorcerer traded, and I think, just off the top of my head, I believe that Agnes is also sorcerer traded, so very fitting. I think that's right, I've got my book handy. She is indeed. Yes, Sorcerer. So this is probably another Hyperborean chum turning up. So the Arcane Initiate has one health and two sanity, which is pretty, pretty weeny, but the two sanity might come in handy, and reads, Forced, after Arcane Initiate enters play, place one Doom on it, and a free trigger, Exhaust Arcane Initiate, search the top three cards of your deck for a spell card, and draw it, Shuffle your deck. The first article I wrote about Arkham Horror, I think the first card I mentioned was this card. I absolutely adore this card. I've come to be probably a little bit more circumspect about it because that doom effect can be dreadful. But once the Arcane Initiate is in play and settled, you can be exhausting her every turn to be looking for spells. And the more spells we have in the game, the more fantastic her ability gets. Yeah, I, th- I think especially in... I'm more tempted by this in Jim. I think she's she's good in Agnes. Agnes really... The times I've struggled with Agnes, I've played quite a lot of Agnes, is when I haven't found the spells I need, when, when the shriveling is hiding at the bottom of your deck. Yeah. So Arcane Initiate to dig through and find spells is great. The, the slight downside in in Agnes is that if you if the only spell that you find in the top three cards is Dark Memory, Agnes's Weakness, you have to add that to your hand. I agree. I've had that happen. Yeah, I've had that happen as well. I'd still like that to happen when I have a couple of actions left and I can decide what I do with the Dark Memory, as opposed to having it drawn for me in the upkeep phase. 
or if you use Arcane Initiate after your turn, so then you have your whole next turn to deal with Dark Memory. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, I completely agree. That that downside of looking for a spell when you've re- reached the point where the only spell you might find is a bad one is is definitely worth bearing in mind with the Initiate. I think the the Doom thing as well is actually fairly easy to play around. If you play the Initiate the turn before Doom is going to advance because there's... there's... I think the, the, the accepted term for that is the Witching Hour. Yeah, yes, good, exactly. That point where... Uh, number of doom needed is n, and number of doom on the card is n minus one. You can put the doom down on the arcane initiate. It doesn't say this may force the agenda to advance, so you're going to advance anyway. But I mean that then depends on what scenario you're playing. You look at a scenario like Carnivale. The first agenda is eight doom. Spoilers if you haven't played it already. Which means if you're going to wait until you've had seven turns before you were eight turns before you put the arcane initiate in you've missed all of those chances to look for spells but then if you're waiting that long maybe you've got the spells anyway yeah it's just it's even though i think she's a wonderful card or it's a wonderful card i realize that there are drawbacks and i try to moderate my (laughs) enthusiasm for her Oh, and I should add that the the two horror, the two sanity is really useful because sometimes you don't want to take horror on Agnes and to be able to put it somewhere else like you can put it on the Holy Rosary is really useful. Well, without wanting to, to jump ahead too far, there is a card coming up which I think performs that effect admirably. We'll come to him soon. Yes. Well, let's move on and move. So that's the only ally at the moment that we know of in the mystic class we do know of a third mystic investigator that some people now own because they bought the investigators of arkham law book and she deals a lot with doom and having doom in play so the arcane initiate also works strongly in her deck but because i've not actually played with her yet i don't know if it's fair to talk about her let's move on yeah we'll, we'll, we can put her on ice and then yeah we'll deal with her when when she's when she's out so we've got another one-cost uh, ally here. This is the Stray Cat. So it has a uh, an agility pip. It's an ally. It's another creature. So with Charisma, you can actually have a cat and a dog in play at the same time. So Lovely. this has uh, one health, and it doesn't have a, uh, a sanity stat, so it can't be assigned any, any horror. Uh, its ability is fast, and you discard Stray Cat automatically evade a non-elite enemy at your location. He never came if you fought for him. He always seemed like he had his own agenda. Which, only two cats, I know you know, it describes every single cat. <laughs> yes, yeah. Exactly. Also, interesting that he has his own agenda. Maybe there will be a, an expansion, you know, the Cats of Arkham, where you can play <laughs> cat agendas and cat acts. I don't know. Well, there is, there's, there's a, there's a lot, I haven't read, is it the... Unknown Kadath, it's one of the Lovecraft stories which deals a lot with cats. The only one on the moon I seem to remember. Yeah, there's um in Eldritch Horror the board game as well, there are there are various uh, places that you can have other world encounters where there are cats and cats have all sorts of powers and and things like that. And, uh, That's a dr- the dream quest of unknown Kadath. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. So fun uses for the cat that I've found. I love discarding the cat for free and then being able to play sneak attack because the enemy I'm with is evaded and I haven't had to evade them. 
I love discarding the stray cat to automatically evade Ruth Turner, I want to say her surname is, the mortician, who is one of the unique oh, cultists, cultists in not, Midnight Masks. Uh, she's not elite, is she? Is she elite? I don't think she's elite, no. I hope she's not, because I've been cheating otherwise. She's not, she's not yeah, no, that's a very nice use. She's one of these cultists that you're trying to collect in the Midnight Masks, and it says on her card, forced after Ruth Turner is evaded, add her to the victory display. So that's one of the ways if you want to evade her rather than fight her to get her on the victory display. She has four health, so she's quite tough to fight with. Only two combats, so not, not I mean, easy to pass the test, but you need to do a lot of damage. And she has a, a five uh, value for her evade test. So evading her by conventional means is really not the way to go. But if you can have a cat distract her I think this is what we're meant to understand is happening yeah or well, I, I, I believe with Ruth Turner we're, we're actually sneaking her out of the of the hospital ah it's, okay it's, uh, it's evading or, or distracting the people watching her in the hospital ah okay cool that makes me feel better about yeah using the or, it all makes you feel worse about beating her up which I've never done so we're safe we're good oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, those are some slightly edge case uses. The, one of the tricky things about Stray Cat is the the decks that can have the Stray Cat often are either already quite good at evading Wendy or have other things that they're going to do instead of evade, like Agnes is maybe going to play Blinding Light, Ashcan Pete and Duke are maybe going to fight their way out of a situation. So... Yeah, I, I think Stray Cat is, is definitely a card which suffers from having uh, occupying the ally slot yeah i think uh, other decks that the, the, he, he'd be a good card to include in the dunwich investigators as one of your out faction splashes but uh, zoe maybe or Jin, but using up the ally slot in those decks can make it a lot more difficult because you you know you, you don't want to draw it after you've got your your beat cop in play for instance Maybe someone like Jim, if he's not running blinding light, maybe he likes this to stay out of trouble. Yeah, maybe, exactly. Slight spoiler, the other thing that happens early on in the Dunwich campaign is that you get more allies to add to your deck. We're not going to talk about those allies in this episode, but that also puts even more pressure on the slot and puts more pressure on you to get charisma so that you can have more than one ally out. Because if you've carefully built your deck with making a you know a decision about which ally it is that you're running and it's stray cat or it's guard dog or whatever and then you find you've got a second ally in your deck suddenly that puts that strategy under pressure so yeah i'm agreeing with you should we move on to next yeah so i'll I'll do the next one the next one's a unique one experience uh, rogue survivor ally called aquina the forgotten daughter she costs a whopping five to put into play, so comparable cost to the upgraded Leo De Luca. She only has the ally trait, and she has one health and four sanity. Her flavor text says, do not be frightened by what you see, be frightened by what you cannot see. Yeah, what I can't see on the card is probably the good bits. So she has a reaction trigger. When an enemy attacks you, Exhaust a quinner and deal one horror to her. Remember, she can take four sanity. She has four sanity. She can take four. Deal that enemy's damage to another enemy at your location instead. You still take horror dealt by the attack. 
I think Aquina has been talked about a fair deal in the community so far as being a card that is incredibly situational. In higher investigator counts, she gets marginally better because it might be that there are two enemies at your location, one engaged with you, one engaged with someone else. Definitely playing solo, it's so rare to have a complete mob of enemies on you. And I've never had a situation when I've played Wendy, say, where I've gone, oh, if only I had a Quinner now, I would be able to get out of this tricky situation. Well, I feel completely unqualified to talk about it because I've never put her in a deck or been in a game where she's been in a deck. So I've, I've never seen interaction. And maybe I'm dismissing her out of hand. Maybe I'll be proved wrong and someone will play her and she'll be fantastic. But I, and like you, I've never been in a situation where I've thought, oh, Aquina is just the tool I need. And for a card that costs five and uses a, a, high, a highly competitive slot, she doesn't quite cut it for me at the moment. Yeah, I've tried to find cases when she would be really good. So that that time I described where you're in the third scenario of Knight of the Zealot and you're about to step onto the main path where there are loads of cultists, you're going to get mobbed. Maybe you're not going to be able to deal with them straight away. So you're going to use a Quinner to direct some of the damage across. Maybe you've got Wolfman Drew who hits for two damage. So you're going to assign that damage to a different enemy there and some of the other enemies only have two or three health well they have three health so then you'd be nearly killing you know you can kind of work out where that might be handy but she can only do it once a turn it's only one attack yeah it's not the horror from attacks not that those cultists do horror it all starts to get so conditional as to make it really hard to to see a really easy case to use her i thought what was interesting is that you said you weren't qualified to talk about her but then you actually have considered running her and have never come to the point where it's jumped out at you to go I really want to give this a try yeah that, yeah, exactly I'd, I'd, I'd be open to someone convincing me she's really good but that hasn't happened yet <laughs> cool so from maybe the weakest ally to I think one of the strongest um, certainly my favourite and why don't you read your namesake to us Peter <laughs> so we've got Peter Sylvester here he is the big man on campus or BMOC. BMOC. Referred to as. He, ha- he has an upgraded version, but the base version is he's three cost, he has a Wolf Pip, Ally, and Miskatonic. So, obviously, a football player at Miskatonic U. You get plus one evade, uh, sorry, plus one agility. He has a re- reaction. After your turn ends, heal one horror from Peter Sylvester. The broad shouldered young man exudes the sort of confidence one only finds in youth, and he has one health and two sanity. So uh, we'll talk briefly about the basic version because I think the basic version is good. Yeah. He's, you know, it's that booster for three cost I think is good. Uh, his his ability is, is good as well. Uh, healing a horror automatically is really nice. He's about the only asset that can heal, I believe, and that's because he's got the self-healing effect. Yeah, you're completely right there because most so, healing effects target you, meaning the investigator, right? So if you've yes, if, you've, right, yeah. if you've put uh, damage or horror on any of your assets, there are very few ways of removing that. I think he, him healing himself is one of the very few ways of doing that. So so in any situation where you're you're taking horror damage every turn, he's a nice effect to have. And and I, without wanting to spoil anything, you know, there's cards in the standalone scenarios that that basically nullifies. And if you look at 
a core set card like Forbidden Knowledge. Yeah. That works fantastic. It, it becomes just a way of taking four resources. It, it, it is most basic. Yeah. Uh, spread out over over four turns. So that, that's good. That's good. And Where worth I knowing on that, on, just before we move on to the, the higher XP yep. version, for the lower XP version, he can only take one horror if you want him to keep healing. So if you fail, uh, you draw tentacles on a rotting remains check and you have to take three horror, if you put two horror onto Peter, he's out. You can only put one of those three onto him and he can heal that one. So at his lower XP version, at his zero XP version, it's good and definitely great for the plus one agility, but it's not blowing my mind. But maybe you want to read the higher XP version for us. Yeah, certainly. So, so, so he's everything's the same. So he's still the three costs. He costs two experience when he's upgraded. He gains an extra sanity, which, bearing in mind what you've just said, is a really nice upgrade. So you can take two, two damage onto him and then leave him for a turn, and he'll be he'll be ready to go again. Yeah. Uh, what he also gets is so he gives you plus one agility and plus one willpower. So he's boosting two stats, and I think that is phenomenally strong. I love this this guy in Agnes. So as soon as I saw him, I uh, I rather cheekily printed off a copy of him and slotted him into my Agnes deck. And he's been a fixture ever since. He's just so perfect for Agnes. Uh, he he boosts. Uh, it, it, I took out Holy Rosary to put in Pete. I, some people don't mind having the additional stat boosts, so going up to potentially seven bolt power like this but I, I tend to think that's a bit too much yeah um but if you're going to run one you might as well run because he, he brings her agility up to a respectable is uh, she on three agility she's three normally yeah so she's up to four which yeah. is it's great it's knocking on the which is good that's schizo good. tool or the wendy and then a, adams level you know and then and then of course the, the willpower takes her up to six willpower so he's just fantastic and and then with Agnes, typically you don't want to be putting horror damage onto him or horror onto him because you want to be triggering her ability. But sometimes you're in a situation where you haven't got an enemy at your location or you've already taken horror that phase. And because Agnes's horror pool is almost damage currency, so you want to make the most of that, being able to shift that extra horror onto Pete is, is fantastic. It's really, really good. Agnes as a playstyle really lends herself to a very aggressive sort of almost glass cannony style where you're really playing fast and loose with her sanity to get as much damage out of it and the ideal is that you're going to take seven sanity on her to get seven damage pings and so that her elder sign ability is plus seven but when you play that strategy all it takes is for one failed test at the wrong time or maybe too many enemies at the wrong time and suddenly her horror count is really creeping up and you're looking like you might actually go insane rather than win the scenario. And Peter Sylvester, particularly the upgraded version, is just such a great safety net on that. He's making you yeah. pass the tests that you want to that might be giving you horror, namely willpower tests, and he's a sort of an overflow as you know, as you choose not to give out the horror or you don't want to do damage or whatever it is. So I basically agree with everything you said and I, I think the upgraded version is fantastic. And I think just comparing, this is why it's useful to talk about all the allies, the beat cop is also 2xp to go up, stays in price 
And what happens for him is he gets one more pip, one more health, and a new ability. Peter Sylvester stays the same ability, but the 2 XP is buying you one more sanity and one more permanent stat boost, which I think is, you know, is fantastic that you can... He's the first person who boosts two stats at once. You only have to pay two experience to do it. It's really very compelling. There's one other ally that okay. we've mentioned in a previous episode, which is Duke. Um, so we mentioned him because we were talking about weapons in a previous episode, and Duke is Ashkan Pete's signature asset, and he starts in play for Ashkan Pete. Costs two, so if you're unfortunate enough to lose Duke and somehow get all the way back through your deck and then bring him back into play, you're only going to have to pay two for him, which is amazing. And he has two abilities. Action, Exhaust Duke, Fight. You attack with a base combat skill of four. This attack deals plus one damage. And Action, Exhaust Duke, Investigate. You investigate with a base intellect skill of four. You may move to a connecting location immediately before investigating with this effect. Two health, three sanity. And worth noting, he doesn't have the ally icon. So though he is an ally, he doesn't use it for your ally slot. He's a funny one, Duke, isn't he? Because he behaves like a weapon, but isn't a weapon. He is ally-traded, but doesn't take up the ally slot. He's so important for Ashkan Pete, because Ashkan Pete only has six health and five sanity. So when you combine Duke's health and sanity, you start to see that he's sort of very valuable as a place to put damage or horror to keep Ashkan Pete alive. And then he's also just incredibly versatile, it's worth knowing that Ashkan Pete has a free trigger, which is discard a card from your hand, ready an asset you control, limit once per round. So in theory, you could do two attacks with Duke, or an attack and investigate, or two investigates, whatever it is. You can you can use him twice a turn. If you pull an Elder Sign on any of your tests, you get to ready him as well. So if you're very lucky, you could use him three times in a turn. The actual the base skill setting at four, I like... But in playing Ashkan Pete solo, I've really longed for it to be a bit higher. So I've started using a magnifying glass so that I have a little boost on my intellect. And I found that because you're, because the, the fight action is using Duke, you can't then fight using another weapon as well in the same action. Which means you have to find other ways to reliably boost Ashkan Pete so and Duke's that, combat. Yeah, stat boosters like Pete Kopp and, and, um, and Pete, Pete Sylvester. Uh, although he doesn't, doesn't boost either of these stats. So static stat boosters are, are quite good in Pete because they still let him use his dog. Yeah, exactly. Magnifying so, glass Zardy, it helps, helps Duke find, find clues. Yeah, exactly. So maybe there's like a, there's a charisma Ashkan Pete deck where he's running a Beat Cop and Dr. Milan and Duke. And he's sitting at... He's investigating for five when he uses Duke. He's fighting for five when he's using... Duke and the beat cop making money out of the investigation I don't want to sound too down on Duke though because I think that ability to be able to move before you investigate is incredible it's saying take two actions for the price of one and and what I really like with with Duke is that uh, if you're using scavenging as Pete you're with Duke you can move you just you just use the move and then if if you're moving into a low shroud location even if it hasn't got any clues you can resolve the investigator return an, uh, an item to your hand. Completely. I completely agree. So, so Duke is just finding stuff. You've, you've thrown away either to ready Duke in the past or you've 
throwing away icon. So, so rabbit's foot has got a wild icon. Yeah. You commit rabbit's foot to a test, and then you move away with Duke, and then you can return it to use it on another test. So, if you're using yeah. leather coat or knife in your deck, or even fire axe, and you're throwing them away for the combat pips, you can be pulling them back in. Yeah, yeah that's a nice strategy. Okay. Well, I think that's all of the allies. That's all of the allies. I think a future episode we might talk about scenario-specific allies, but that's not for this episode. There's a real range of abilities here. Seeker has a little theme, which is pay to and get something, a tome or two cards. But then across the factions, we're seeing allies that provide static boosts. Across the factions, we're seeing allies that bump up your stats, uh, your your health or sanity stats by a bit. You know, they're sort of these slight safety nets or uh, sinks for putting extra damage or extra horror. And I suppose the other thing we're seeing is that the allies across the factions enhance what a faction might already be good at. So the Guardian allies are adding to damage. The Mystic allies are helping them get spells. Seeker allies are helping you investigate and so on. So what's Final question, you have Charisma in your deck. What's your ideal two-ally pairing? Oh, my word, that's a difficult question. Um, <laughs> I mean, it depends who I'm playing. Who, who have I got at the moment? I've got Zoe's mainly on the go at the moment. So, I'm Are you playing Beat Cop and Zoe anyway? I'm playing Beat Cop and Zoe anyway, but I don't have Guard Dog, mainly because I want that slot for Beat Cop. Yeah. So maybe... Guard Dog goes in as a, as a way to soak up an extra bit of damage and deal the odd one damage to say one or three health enemies. Maybe that's my maybe that's my setup. That's nice. Yeah, I like that. Or potentially Leo. You know, anyone plus Leo is good. Anyone plus Leo. Yeah, we. I had a situation playing the the Dunwich campaign with a couple of friends. I'd built all three decks and I hadn't put Leo in any of the decks. And one of the first changes one of my playing partners made was adding Leo to his deck. I suppose there's not really a meta in Arkham Horror yet, but if there was something of a meta, I'd say that it's that shift away from saying, oh my goodness, Leo is the best thing ever, to saying, Leo's a crutch, don't rely on Leo too much, there are other things you should be doing. You know, you you can survive fine on three actions. And certainly I've played profitably investigators that don't have four actions but it is nice. Okay. Great. Well, I think that more or less wraps up today's episode. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find me on Twitter. I'm uh, FB under, uh, EPH underscore BEE. I'm on Discord as Zooey Glass. I'm on ArkhamDB as Zozo. Peter, where can people find uh, you? I'm everywhere. I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm on the Reddit. I'm on Discord. I'm on Twitter. I'm on yeah, the board game geek as well. Uh, all those united, and I've got the, the Super Meat Boy avatar, so I'm, I'm recognisable as well. That's U N I T L E D. That's right. Yes. Not unit led. He's not big on uh, <laughs> numbers. It's it's united, like untitled, misspelt. Great. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> ah, perfect. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Bye. So, if you've not yet seen the player cards of Miskatonic Museum and you don't want to hear about a player card in Miskatonic Museum, 
this is the point you should stop listening to Drawn to the Flame, turn off the podcast, because we're going to talk about one card from Miskatonic Museum. Very excitingly, the Guardian class have a new ally, and Peter's going to read the card. This feels a bit like an exclusive scoop here. So what we've got is a five-cost ally. He's unique, and he's Brother Xavier, uh, pure of spirit. He's got a single willpower pip, and he's just ally-traited. You get plus one willpower. Brother Xavier may be assigned damage and or horror dealt to other investigators at your location. And then he has a reaction. When Brother Xavier is defeated, deal two damage to an enemy at your location. So he has three health and three sanity, so he's, so he's quite chunky. Yeah, that I mean, that's really chunky. You think about someone like Leo, who at this XP cost, costs the same amount, and he only has 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, he's only 2-2, two, two, although he does have a stellar ability. I think my problem with, with Xavier, really, is he feels like two cards put together in one. So he's, he's, he's a stat boost, which is good, and I do like his ability to soak up damage from other cards. It, it, it's nice, I think, that he works well with the other Guardian card, which was has come out in the museum, which heals... It, it can heal an ally at your location. So you can use Emergency Aid to heal Brother Xavier, uh, which is especially good with this ability. Uh, the reaction ability also kind of works with his his ability for other people to assign damage to him as he'll be soaking up damage and then dying. But for a card that uses up a valuable slot and costs me five and an experience, I don't necessarily want him to be self-sacrificial. That's the sort of quandary at the heart of Brother Xavier, isn't it? That you're paying five for a stat boost and some really beefy health and sanity boost. But if you want to get that reaction out of him, you have to trade him in. Which I suppose is a theme for Guardian allies, that they provide you some kind of buffer, but also they're going to take damage and they're going to be expendable. So if there are any ways of paying for allies more cheaply in future, Guardians are probably going to want to include that because they have these really beefy allies that are expensive and yeah, certainly, yeah. do I damage as they leave. All of the Guardian allies also deal damage, don't they? Yeah, you're right. The, the other thing is I'm not... 100% convinced how good willpower boosts are on Guardians at the moment. So if Zoe takes this, she jumps up to 5, which is very good, but what does she, what is she able to do with 5 willpower that she can't do fairly well at 4 willpower already? Yeah, you have you just posted up that hybrid Zoe deck that runs Shriveling as its 5th weapon, as it were, even though it's a spell. And I suppose in that instance... And Blinding Light as well. Yeah, and Blinding Light, right? So neither of those boost your willpower when you use them. They just let you use your willpower instead of... And for a willpower boost, I think another, I think I prefer the police badge, which is one more experience, but a lower cost. And in this slot, I think I'd, I'd rather have a beat cop who's giving me plus one fist, and he's cheaper. So I, I guess at the moment, I don't necessarily see this fitting into any of the the guardian decks that i'm playing yeah that that's actually why i like the card because i found myself really scratching my head you know i sort of ran through who can run it so zoe roland or skids o'toole skids would love more willpower but does he want to pay five and an experience point and and loses brother xavier and lose an ally slot 
does it all come back around to our discussion about charisma where you want this and leo but that's 10 resources for your two allies are you ever going to actually be able to pay for that then roland does roland want the extra willpower maybe but he can get it from police badge and then finally there's the zoe where as you say you maybe want beat cop instead it, i like i like the puzzle though of brother xavier it feels like another step towards a guardian that's a healer or or that's sort of all about playing with damage and horror and sort of moving them around so you've got first aid and emergency aid and then brother xavier you could almost become the sort of yeah, doctor yeah I'd, I'd, I'd really there's, there's a there's a doctor i can't remember his name so some of the uh the the, the arkham files veterans are going to be uh, cursing my name but I, there, is, there is a doctor in the back in the backstory and it would be interesting if he fell into the guardian class because thematically the guardian protects other players it's just that they also they, they they have so far happened to do that by using weapons so maybe if we see a guardian who is restricted in access to weapons yet is able to heal and heal their own allies you could really boost the resilience of your whole party. Yeah, and the, the potency of something like Brother Xavier's sort of passive ability you, he, that he may be assigned damage and or horror dealt to other investigators at your location, that's an ability we've not yet really seen, but you can compare it maybe to something like Stray Cat where you evade an enemy at your location. That That idea of being able to interact with other entities at your location and you're not specifically engaged with them can be really powerful it can be kind of clutch but then in solo play becomes almost sort of a blank blank bit of text you know it doesn't matter at all yeah interesting puzzle i'm interested to see more of the kind of maybe the the holy guardian who is interested in really boosting willpower and really protecting other people and not fighting necessarily i also love that his the subtitle is pure in spirit and he he is like the most grimy looking monk or <laughs> priest going with that needs, tentacle shame, coming over his shoulder. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his beard is just sort of fading into the void. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, wonderful. So that, I think, is that for our first card from a Mythos pack. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.